Good morning. Good morning to all of you joining us online. Also, I'm glad you're joining us in that way. Um, last week, I was uh, really intrigued by Pastor Aaron's introduction to the message about this building that ended up not having a good foundation. Eventually, had to be torn down to the tune of $60 million. Um, if you didn't hear that message last week, by the way, you need to go to our webpage, the social media, and listen to it. It's just really good. It was a great introduction to this Pillar of Faith series that we're in right now. Um, and I was reminded, as, as, as Aaron was sharing last week, about a project I did um, a long time ago uh, when I was still an engineer down in southern Iowa in Knoxville. We were putting in this big machine, and we were actually putting a building in as part of that machine. In fact, the building was part of the machine. And so in order to make sure that the foundation was sure for that machine, because the machine had to be uh, sighted in on a transit to what, one ten-thousandth of an inch over the length of 400 yards or so, uh, we drove pillars into the ground. Um, and it was an interesting process to watch. These big 30-foot pillars came on site, and they were lifted up with a crane with a big hammer, and they were beaten down to bedrock, and then we poured everything on top of that. And then we put sole plates down. We called them these metal machine plates, and all the machinery set on that, and that's how we made it straight and level and true. And I remember the architect saying to me, you know what, this thing is not going to move one iota. This thing is on bedrock. And part of what Aaron and my goal are in the series of messages that we're sharing with you here as summer comes to a close called Pillars of Faith is we want to have our faith grounded on bedrock. We want to be sure of some things and sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so last week, Pastor Aaron began with the Trinity, and today I'm going to continue this study by looking into God as creator. So we're going to look into creation for a couple of weeks. Um, If God is indeed creator guess what? Then we as the creatures are subjected to him. When that is rejected, what we see is the outcome of what's going on around us. Life becomes something built on this shifting sand kind of thing. It's unstable. It's unsure. There's lots of confusion and and brokenness. And so being established on these pillars of faith, I think, is just imperative for us as Christ followers during this time. Now, I want to begin by admitting something, and I hope you admit this too. I'm a readily biased person. Are you? I have all kinds of biases in my life. Because I'm a Christ follower, I have this filter in my life. I see things through the Bible. I'm very biased. How about you? Are you? Amen, because I, I want some interaction here today, okay? Um, I, I let first hour have a pass because they're tired. You should be wide awake. So here's the baseline. When it comes to the origins debate... Uh, how life began, it's just full of bias. No matter what side you find yourself on in this debate, it's full of bias. I'm biased because I believe in the Bible. I've yet to see anything disprove the Bible or the, or the, or the truth that it puts forth. I have not seen anything disprove that. I reject the claims of evolutionists. Now, when I use that word evolutionist, what I'm referring to is their belief that life arose from naturalistic processes by chance. I believe that special creation explains the beginning of the human race. In these two messages that I'm going to do on creation, um, I'm going to do today something I haven't ordinarily done in, in a series like this. I'm just going to go back in time. And I want you to see the shaky ground that evolution has been built on. Right now, it's become this huge thing, isn't it? 
It's everywhere. It's got all kinds of nomenclature and fancy names and all kinds of big signs and all kinds of institutions. It's this monstrosity kind of thing in our culture. But I want to take you back to where it began. And I want to show you that it began on very shaky ground. And here's what I want you to understand. If we did indeed evolve by half and chance, then we're just animals. There's no morals. Everybody can do right in their own sight, which is what's going on today. And, uh, but if we're an uh, act of special creation, then we serve a creator, amen? And he knows what's best for us, and our life should be a pursuit of relationship with that creator. So let's go back to 1959, when, when evolution was beginning to gain some traction um, in, in our culture. There was a scientist, his name was Thompson. He was the director of the Commonwealth Institute of Biological Control in Ottawa. At the time, this is what he said. This, now you've got to understand, evolution is beginning to gain traction, it's beginning to be kind of the scientific push, okay? Listen to what he says. It is right and proper to draw the attention of the non-scientific public to the disagreements about evolution. But some of the remarks of evolutionists show they think this is unreasonable. The situation, the situation where scientific men rally to the defense of a doctrine they are unable to define scientifically, much less demonstrate with scientific rigor, attempting to maintain its credit with the public by suppression of criticism and the elimination of difficulties is abnormal and undesirable in science. Did you hear that? So even as this thing began to gain traction, this big name in science at the time, Thompson said, what's going on here, guys? This isn't science. It's something else. There's agenda, but it's not science. I just want you to see that this debate, no matter which side you're on, the creationist side or the evolutionist side, is full of bias. Amen? So if you're ever debating someone who says, I'm an evolutionist, and blah, 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 you have to say, well, then you're full of bias just like I am. Amen? You want to establish that. It's really, really important. Secondly, as a a baseline kind of thought to this uh, next couple of weeks, get this. The origins debate is part of a worldview war. We need to understand that. It's not this... Uh, you know, isolated, uh, standalone kind of thing. It's a subset of a worldview war that's going on. Atheistic evolution says there is no God. We're here by chance. They're often very critical of a creationist and one who believes in the creator God. Frequently, such ones have said, we have the high ground of science. Amen? They say this. We're scientists we believe in science. You, on the other hand, you're dumb. You're just faith people, and you're ignorant, and you're probably full of bigotry. Right? That's the way they try to define the debate. And you know what happens, unfortunately, for a lot of us who are Christ followers? We don't feel like we have answers to give them over here, so we just sit over here dumb and quiet. Amen? We don't know what to say. And part of my goal here today is to really establish uh, some baselines with you. And one of them is this. Both of these models of origin, whether it's evolutionists or creation, I'll readily admit, they're both acts of faith. Amen? They're both acts of faith. Because there's no experiment that we can perform right now that proves either one's claims. And we have to understand 
Friends, you've got to understand, we're called to be wise and to see the battle that's raging around us. I understand that, that this debate in origins is a subset kind of thing to a worldview war that we're engaged in. And I, I think of what Jesus said um, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to us. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. He's saying to us, get what's going on. Understand what's happening in culture. Be wise and be as innocent as doves. Understanding that the battle belongs to the Lord. So why does this debate matter? Because I think that, that's where a lot of people say, well, I don't, know wh- I don't know what it's about. I don't know why it even matters. Well, let me tell you why it matters. Let me go back a little bit with you in history. Hitler, do you guys know who Hitler is still? He believed in the survival of the fittest. He was a hardcore evolutionist. He believed in a master race. And the result was World War II, amen? Mussolini, who allied, him, or allied himself with Hitler, believed war was really expedient. War was good because it sped up the evolutionary process. Do you see where these worldviews take us? Karl Marx. By the way, Marxism is really on the move again. It's really becoming popular, especially with the uh, intellectual side of colleges and things like that. Marxism is really on the rise again. He was a key figure in communism and Marxism. He was encouraged by Darwin's biological theory of evolution, so much so that he wanted to dedicate his writing, Dust Capital, to Darwin. But Darwin's wife said, probably not a good idea, hon, don't do that. So, and Darwin didn't. Evolution is a pillar on which our modern sexual revolution stands. I mean, after all, if we're just evolved, anything goes, right? Everybody can do right in their own sight. It's a natural outcome of that kind of world view. Now, many of the founding fathers of evolution, they, they knew there was a lack of proof. They knew there wasn't real objective proof to this theory. They had an agenda. They were not just objective scientists. I want to read to you a quote from Aldous Huxley. And if you go back and you study evolution at all and where it began, you'll see the name Huxley come up a lot. They, they were key, this family, in, in promoting of evolution. Now listen to what Aldous Huxley says, a leading evolutionist in his time. He said this in an interview in 1966. I told you, I'm going back in time a little bit in this message. Listen to this. He said, for myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essential as an instrument of liberation. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from certain political and economic systems and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. So basically he's saying we really like evolution because it gets rid of God and we can be sexually free. Now, I want to ask you a real fundamental question. These guys are instrumental in the development of evolution, all right? Does this sound like an objective scientist speaking here who just is seeking what science says? Years ago when I was pastoring at New Hope in Williston, North Dakota, I remember this really well. I had a couple high schoolers that wanted to meet with me. 
And what they wanted to meet with me about was this. They wanted to convince me that evolution was true. I had no idea why they wanted to do that. And I, I remember saying to them, are you sure you want to do this? Because I'm really, really confident. I know more about this subject matter than you do. And they said, no, we want to come to you. I said, well, okay, come to me and let's have a conversation. I still remember that conversation really, really well. Um, they brought along their biology book with them. I said, bring your biology book. Let's talk about this and let's see what you're learning in school. And right away, they showed me an example in their book that I knew had been disproven a long time ago, but it was still, in the, the book wasn't updated. And so they showed me the Nebraska man. I said, that's still in textbooks? that the Western ape man has been disproven years ago and, and still in your textbook as an example of an intermediate lake. And they go, yeah, I go, well, don't show me that. That just shows me how ignorant you are. And they go, what? I go, don't you know your own theory? You know, I'm, I was having some fun with them in a sad sort of way. But let me, let me just say this to, to you. And this is what I said to him. I said, let me, let me tell you about this, okay? So at least you're informed in your ignorance, all right? I said, in 1925... There was a famous trial called the Scopes Monkey Trial. At this time, most high schools, even in the public school system, taught the creation model as the origins for humans. Scopes was a 24-year-old um, biology teacher who was brought on trial in Tennessee because he was teaching evolution. So Clarence Darrow was, was brought in from Chicago, this, this high-level, high-known, uh, 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 you know, lawyer was brought in to defend Scopes, while three-time presidential candidate William Jennings Bryant was brought in to, def to defend the state. Are you getting this? This is kind of like a big deal, a big trial. And, and Darrow argued at the time, as he was arguing for Scopes, he was saying it's sheer bigotry to just have one model for origins. I want that to soak in with you for a moment. Because at the time, they were just teaching creation. He said, you've got to teach other things. There's other possibilities for the origins of life. You can't just teach one model. That's sheer bigotry. What are we doing today? Isn't that ironic? Come on. You, you have to admit, that's a bit ironic. Amen? Amen? All right. I won't get an amen out of you. All right. I'll stop. So, at one point, the lawyers put each other on the stands. Like I said, this was kind of like a show. So... Bryant's put on the stand, and Darrow begins to um, examine him. And he said, do you know about the recent discovery of the Nebraska Western ape man that existed a million years ago? And, and of course, uh, you know, Bryant had no idea who this, this was. And he said, well, this was discovered by Cook. And this was supposedly a missing link discovery. Now, as the whole kind of trial went on, the creationists still won the day, so to speak, but I think they begin to lose the war. And this whole Nebraska Western Ape Man took hold and made its way into textbooks and into education. And for 35 years, following the Scopes trial, it became accepted teaching. Um, and it affected literally the worldview of millions of people. I have a drawing here. It should show up hopefully here. There's a drawing. of How many of you remember seeing this in your textbooks? Raise your hands. I want people to see this. Because I think sometimes, especially young people, think, I just make this up. This was in our textbooks. Not a very handsome dude. Amen? Now, here's the interesting thing about the Western, you know, Nebraska Western ape man. He was drawn from a tooth. That's all they had. I want that to soak in. 
First of all, he's drawn from a tooth. Pretty imaginative, amen? Here's a second sad thing. Later it was discovered that the tooth that he was drawn from was a pig's tooth. This sat in our textbooks for 35 years, deceiving people and destroying people's faith. And it's nothing but fakery. It wasn't true. So I, I tell all this to these students, and they just kind of look at me, you know, with that deer in the headlight look. And they said, well, we still think that evolution's true. And I said, well, give me an example. They couldn't give me one example of why they were saying that. And I said, so why do you want to be evolutionists so badly? And here's, here's what I, where I'm going with this. They said, because we want to be viewed as smart, not dumb. And this, my friends, is kind of the issue with us. Sometimes we think we're going to be viewed as just dumb people if we're not evolutionists. And that is sometimes the issue behind the issue. But I want to tell you this. It's not smart to be an evolutionist. They're both faith issues. A couple of modern scientists, more modern than the Huxley brothers, Stephen Gould, he is a paleontologist at Harvard. He, he died in 2002. And Niles Eldridge, at one time administrator of the Museum of Natural History, said this. There are no intermediate links. There are no Nebraska men. It's long been the secret of paleontology, those who study prehistoric life through the fossil records, that there are 100 million fossils in museums without a single intermediate link. Ken Ham, who's a creationist and a scientist, said this, the thing about missing links is that they're missing. I want you to let that soak in. The thing about missing links is that they're missing. So this means there's no fossils of a fish becoming a mammal, of gills turning into lungs. There's nothing like that. Um, It's interesting because in Genesis chapter 1, God says, as he's created, he created things after their kinds. And when you read that word kinds, it means he created them with boundaries. Plants stay plants, animals stay animals, they stay within their kinds. Now, I'm going to say this. Man can manipulate some of that. We can go in and genetically manipulate it. And some people have said, well, that proves that evolution could take place. I said, no, that proves that man is created in the image of God. God's creative and so are we. But here's a real question I ask. Can man create something from nothing? Amen? No. We're limited to manipulation of the creation, but that doesn't prove evolution at all. That just proves that we're creative like our God is creative. Now, even with all these deficiencies... Evolutionists have screamed louder and louder that what they teach is fact and science and what we believe if we're creationists is faith. Reminds me of the preacher who had this in his notes. Pound pulpit here, point is very weak. Pound pulpit loudly, point is weak. So, all I want to do is give you some baselines. All I want to do is get reasonable doubt in you and so that you know you can turn your heart fully to Jesus Christ and to, to him as creator. So let's talk about understanding this origins debate. Let's just talk about that for just a couple minutes. Both the creation and the evolution models are what? Faith issues. Amen? They're both faith issues. We can't perform an experiment to reproduce it. 
To be scientific, it's got to be observable, testable, and repeatable. Amen? Anybody who's taken basic science knows the scientific method. You observe something, you make a postulate, you, 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 you test it. Is it true? Is it not true? And can you repeat it? Neither one of these we can do. Evolution can't do it. Creationists can't do it. So ultimately, when you go back to the origins of, of life, it's a faith issue. The famous evolutionist Julius Huxley, who's the brother of Aldous Huxley, said in 1953, the odds against, now this is an evolution talking, evolutionist talking here now, okay? The odds against getting enough favorable mutations by chance for a million favorable mutations to occur in the evolutionary process is a thousand to the millionth power. What he's saying is in order for evolution to happen, it's one chance in one followed by a book like this that's 500 pages long full of zeros. So he's saying in order for this to happen, to have enough favorable mutations for this to happen, you have to have, it's one chance in this book of, of you know, 500 pages of zeros. So this is a book that's 500 pages long full of zeros. Are you getting the picture? So what would that tell you? If you're a mathematician, you said, that's statistically impossible. It's not going to happen, right? If you're a basic engineer, you go, ah, don't waste my time with that. But here's what he concludes. I want you to hear what he concludes now. He says this. No one would bet that anything so improbable happening would happen. Yet it did. What do we call that, folks? What do we call this? Faith. Amen? Faith in this thing. A belief system. But it's not science. Um... You don't have to be smart to think that evolution has science on its side. You have to be educated. You have to understand what's going on. Um, I am choosing to put my faith in Jesus Christ. How about you? And even as I go back and review this message, I remember I've been through years of study of this stuff. Once again, I'm going, yeah, God, you are a creator. I don't even know why this stuff even enters into the debate half the time, this whole thing on evolution. But listen to this. I'm back to Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 2. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. I'm confident in Jesus Christ. I'm confident God is my creator. And assurance about what we do not see. I'm convinced that he's put together you and I, by special creation. This is what the ancients were commended for. So let's talk about a reflection moment here. Let's just go into this. So creation and evolution are both a matter of faith. The question is who and what will you put your faith in? I just want you to see that. They're both a matter of faith. Who and what will you put your faith in is the question I pose to you. So let's go to a second uh, point here. God has clearly identified himself as creator. All throughout the Bible, from Genesis to, to Revelation, God is revealed as creator. God is revealed as creator in the different sections of the Bible. In the history section of the Bible, he's revealed as creator. In the law section of the Bible, he's revealed as creator. In the poetry section of the Bible, he's revealed as creator. In the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's revealed as creator. In all the epistles from Romans all the way uh, through, you know, the, the end of the epistles, he's revealed as creator. Uh, in, in Revelation, God is revealed as creator. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to start with Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was form, uh, formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
The Hebrew name for God here in this section of scripture is Elohim, which means creator, preserver, mighty and strong. This name of God is used about 30 times in Genesis chapter 1. Creator, preserver, mighty and strong. It's used about 2,500 times in the Old Testament. It's a constant theme. God's presented as creator, preserver, mighty and strong. We could read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 this way. In the beginning, creator, preserver, mighty and strong, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surfaces of the deep. And the spirit of creator, preserver, mighty and strong was hovering over the waters. God's making a point. What point is he making? I'm creator. I'm preserver, I'm mighty, and I'm strong. This is a constant theme throughout the Bible, like I said. We go to the the prophets. We go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, and we read this. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the what? Creator of the ends of the earth. He will not go tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Then we jump over to the Gospels, to John chapter 1. We know this scripture. We, we, we uh, have talked about it frequently here at, at Grace Point. In the beginning was the Word, and that Word's a reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So we see here that God is creator. And then we go on to the epistles. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Listen to verses 16 through 17. For in him all things were created, things in the heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's pretty, pretty, you know, Pretty definitive, amen? God's creator and he's preserver. And then you go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Chapter 4, verse 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. So uh, is God creator? Amen, right? Do we have to be ashamed of that? Are we dumb for believing in that? Absolutely not. Amen? And I think a lot of the problems that we're seeing in culture right now is because there's a diminished view and understanding of God as creator. But let's go to the second reflection point here then. It's this, or first reflection point, excuse me, is this. Acceptance of special creation for the origin of humans implies that there is a creator. But it implies this. We're accountable to the creator. Now, Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, who I just talked about, um, made known that he was rejecting special creation also, but here's the reason that he gave for this rejection. Listen to this quote by him. We all jumped on the origins of species. Now, when they use that language, origins of species, that's Darwin's explanation of, the, you know, of life by, by his origins of species writing. He said, we all jumped on the origins of species because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. You know, when I first began to research this, I was just a young man. I was uh, in college still. There wasn't a lot of writings at the time. And evolution was really gaining traction in the uh, late 60s and, and 70s. And, but I began to look into the guys that were behind evolution. And I became so disillusioned because they didn't have pure motives. They just wanted to shuck off the shackles, so to speak, of what they viewed as as a culture they didn't like, and they were using the methodology of evolution as a means to get there. And it was very, to me, disillusioning, and I had no problem with saying, I don't believe in this evolution because I don't believe in the people that are promoting it. Amen? You follow where I'm going with all this logic? Um, 
And these are the ones that really got evolution going. And the thing has just grown to the place where there's this huge monstrosity that you can't even look at the landscape of origins anymore without this dominance of evolution being there. My kids never liked going to the museums with me because I'd say, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. They said, Dad, we know it's not true, you reckon? And I said, well, it's not true. It's just fiction going on here. And it's just been magnified and blown out of proportion. And so I've spent the last 40 years of my life reading and periodically researching this thing because I just, I like to keep up on the subject matter. And so for some of you, I want to encourage you. I have a whole bunch of books right here that I've read that are really good books in terms of this debate of evolution versus uh, creation. And I got books that go from their words may be used against them. Just quotes of evolutionists. You know, it's like a dictionary here. This thing is like an encyclopedia. And you start reading about what they really believe. Why would you believe in them? Just trust me. Just read this. Get this book. It's kind of pricey. But if you have doubts, uh, you can borrow it from me for a fee. Um, you know, if you want to just go to simple apologetics, you can read, read the, the, the case for a creator by Lee Strobel. It's just, he's a news writer. He writes in a very friendly way. That's, it's, an easy, it's an easy read. Lately, I've been fascinated by the study of the cosmos a little bit, and that's been problematic for me. I've been wondering about the speed of light and how things look distant and aren't distant. And this really good book by Spitzer came out um, called The New Proofs for the Existence of God. And it's all coming at it from a, a kind of a, you know, astronomy kind of viewpoint is really good. But you know what? It's got an awful lot of math in it and a lot of uh, engineering equations. And so I said to, uh, I think, Vicki a long time ago when I was reading this, I said, my uh, mechanical engineering degree is really helping me understand this book. But at any rate, so if you want to get into that, you know, there, this book, this is a super good book, The Answers Book. It's about an eighth grade level read. It just gives some basic what happened to the dinosaurs things. What about carbon dating? What about all this stuff? It's a super good read on that. And then I'm going to get to, I'm not giving them all, but um, this one I've been reading, Dead Man's Secret. I just got this book. It's an archaeology study. And what it's showing here in this book is that um, ancient civilizations were really advanced. And for some reason, they would move to the primitive. And our view of primitive moving to advance is backwards of the way it's working in, in, in most cultures. So it's a very interesting read. A lot, a lot of archaeology in this, if you like that kind of thing. So anyway, um, I've heard a lot of, col- of, of conversation lately on the sad state of our culture. And I think a culprit that's being overlooked in what's behind it all is evolution. If you take the heart evolution and we're just animals then anything goes. Amen? Right? That's where it takes you. So this brings us to the second reflection point. Acceptance of evolutionary processes for the origins of human attacks, the authority of the Bible. And that's what bothers me more than anything on this whole debate. It just attacks the authority of the Bible. Because what it does, it brings into question the very first book of the Bible, the very first few verses of the Bible, where it says, in the beginning, God created. Well, if you throw that out, you throw out God as creator. If you throw out the book of Genesis, you throw out the the what? Fall of mankind and sin is the problem that we have, which is our problem. You throw out great theological thoughts that are first introduced there like atonement and grace and and redemption and what it means to be a person of faith and how we're justified and salvation. They're all counted, first of all, in Genesis. Do you know that the New Testament refers to Genesis 200 times? So if you begin to throw that out, you basically destroy the Bible. 
its authority, and its relevance. Colossians 2.8 says this. And this is another one of my favorite verses that I quote to myself frequently. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. I think for way too long, evolution has dethroned Jesus from the hearts of people. And it's based on some of the stuff I just gave to you. Its history is so suspect and so shaky. So I want to wrap up this message with this verse. It's 1 Peter 3.15. It's almost become like a life verse for me as a, as a follower of Jesus. And here it is. It's our application for today's message. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Enthrone him as Lord. Set him up as God of gods. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I think in this whole debate of evolution versus creation, the evolutionists have tried to say we have the scientific high ground. If you're a creationist, you're dumb and you can't, you know, you're just bigoted and backwards. And for most of us, we would feel uncomfortable talking to somebody on a science level, and therefore we feel like we can't say much. And I'm telling you, you don't need to know that much. You just need to know some of the basics so that you can give an answer for the reason of the hope in Jesus Christ. Creation makes a lot of sense. Scientific evidence shows that there was an explosion of life on this earth like it was created. Scientific evidence shows there's no intermediate fossil link showing there was an evolutionary process. Right? And the more technology develops and the more we can measure things, the more it's verifying that creation probably took place. Amen? It's empirical, but the proofs tend to go that direction rather than towards the evolutionary model. And so if we can just have a few of these things down, we can give an answer because most people aren't that educated on this either. Okay? And and so we just have to be ready to give an answer um, for the reason that we believe in Jesus Christ. I pray today that you revere Jesus in your heart, that you see God as creator, preserver, mighty, and and strong, and that you understand biblical creation makes sense. So let me end this way. I'm going to give you four belief systems of the origins of man. This is kind of setting us up uh, for next week. First of all, there's atheistic evolution. That just says life evolved through natural processes over a long time. So the main mover and shaker in getting this theory going was Darwin's model. Life originated and evolved by mutations and survival of the strongest. Now, Darwin himself said the fossil record as it's discovered will prove me to be true. Has it? You can shake your head vigorously, no. There's no intermediate links. Nothing's verifying his theory from a fossil record. Also, in the 1800s, when Darwin postulated this theory, he looked at cells as a black box. They did not have microscopes. They did not have electron microscopes either. They had no idea what was inside a cell. He assumed that this cell, this black box, could just change super easily. Could just mutate, just readily change. Well, I tell you what, in our day, the black box has been opened. Amen? It's not a mystery to us. And I have a diagram of a cell up here for you to look at. Super simple diagram 
of an animal cell. Darwin did not have this information. You get what I'm saying? And this cell diagram here just shows us one thing. Our cells are complex. They have mutuality of operation going on within the cell. That means one part is dependent on another part doing its part or it doesn't work. It's just a marvelous design when you see how it all works together. And I tell you what, it does not change easily. And when it does, it usually means death, not life, okay? He had none of this. So he makes this huge theory that evolution's built on, saying the fossil record will bear me out, and he has no understanding of cellular biology. And both of those things have fallen to the wayside. They're not proof. They're not true. So what should we do with that scientific theory? Discard it. Not believe it. It's been proven false. Amen? But now we have this huge system built on this thing. Are you getting my, my thing here? It's this huge system of thought built on something that's simply just not true. I have this book called Darwin's Black Box. That's a good read. I, I, I mean, if you want to figure out some of this stuff, I encourage you to go further. It's a bio, uh, biochemistry kind of look into evolution. So, I mean, this one you can read and just understand it. If you, if you, if you have any interest, it's, it's just interesting to read, okay? So, let's go on to a couple other models of evolution, and then I'm going to wrap it up today really quickly. Um, there's deistic evolution that simply says a supernatural being started life and then life evolved on its own through naturalistic processes. Then there's theistic evolution. A supernatural being started life and used the methodology of uh, evolution to bring it through its stages. These two theories of origins are nothing more than a, an attempt to marry the Bible uh, to evolutionary thought. Um, I, I, I'm going to just be really honest with you, and this is my, just my personal belief. You can do whatever you want with this. Um, I feel like we don't need to do this. It's my personal opinion, and I believe it produces bad theology and bad science. It's my opinion. So I'm just throwing that out there uh, for you. If you fall into one of those camps, you know, so be it. But I just want you to know what I think. And then lastly, there's creation. All life and life processes were designed by God the creator. Um, so, so we're going to close now, and I'm going to just pray. And, and I, I just pray that this helps you, and next week we'll get into this a little bit more, okay? So Lord God, I want to just pray for the, all those present today. First of all, that we'd see you, God, as creator, that we revere you, Jesus, as Lord, that you would have this place uh, uh, the, uh, of, of just adoration, and that we would trust you and that uh, we would know that we're not a result or a product of some happenstance mutations over millions of years. Rather, we're a special creation, an act uh, of yours, God. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would not be ashamed, not think it's anti-intellectual to be a creationist, not uh, be um, shy about sharing our views because they have just as much science merit as evolution does. And I, I believe myself more, a lot more, and so I, I just pray, Lord, that we would um, see you as creator, preserver, mighty and strong God, and that you would be enthroned in our hearts and have that rightful position uh, of directing our lives. And I pray we would see the Bible then as a manuscript, a prescription on you and, uh, as creator and how us as creation will do best and how we'll flourish. 
And I don't know if a lot of people see that today. And it concerns me, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you be elevated again in our sight to that rightful position as the sovereign one, the creator one, uh, the one who is the beginning of all things, who's created all things and preserves all things. I just pray that, Lord, be uh, uh, who we are. And I pray that would be a prevailing thought in the people of Grace Point. We just love you so much, Jesus. Thank you. In your name, amen.